Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, December 6th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read the news so you don't have to and try to read between the lines to get at what the story is. We are really just <laughs> Moshe every day playing with this tagline. Jill, I, I feel like we had a tagline down, uh, but it is fun to tweak it every day. I see that you put in a suggested text here for me. Yes. We read the news so you can listen to it. Oh, okay. That literal, it works on multiple levels there. I see what you're doing. <laughs> Jill, are you, uh, I know we're recording this a little early. You have plans tonight. You look great, I should say, for those who are listening out there. Mosh, thank you. I put in a little bit of effort here. Um, looks wise, <laughs> normally I'm just focused on on the content. I'm so focused on the content, Mosh, that I never course, focus on my appearance. Course, uh, but today I am actually headed out. It's parents night out. My husband and I are going to see one of my childhood friends, Lindsay Kraft. Um, she is doing a one-woman show in the city and I cannot wait to go see it. So uh, that is what's going on. That's why we're recording early and that is why I look remotely normal. All right. Well, we're glad to welcome you back to New York City, Jill. And so let's let's hit the news so you can make your train. Okay. Um, here is what we're watching. A rematch in Georgia. It is election day in that state's runoff. Two big cases at the Supreme Court this week. We're going to break down what they're all about and the implications. Some drama behind the scenes at the nation's top morning show, Good Morning America. And who is on the shortlist for Time's Person of the Year? We'll see if Mosh can guess what Time is thinking. I promise I did not peak, Jill. Okay, let's start with uh, our top story. Today is the big runoff election in Georgia between Democrat Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker. If early voting is any indication, the turnout is going to be big. Already, early voting has broken daily records about three times last week. Per Politico, both parties are expecting a close outcome in the closely divided state. After a November election that defied expectations in countless races around the country, a Walker victory not out of the question. However, Warnock is the favorite here. So, Mosh, what are you going to be watching for? Yeah, so Senator Warnock is the sitting senator. Uh, he has uh, beaten his opponent now in the general in 2020, in the runoff in 2020, now in the general in uh, 2022. We'll see if he can go four for four here. Obviously, in Georgia, they have a specific law where you need to have 50.1% of the vote, which is what's leading to these runoffs in the state. The big area that everyone needs to be watching today is the northern Atlanta suburbs. They voted Trump 2016, Biden 2020. They then, uh, this cycle, went Republican for Kemp for governor in the general election, but voted more for Warnock in the Senate race. So lots of vote splitting, especially this year. Uh, there are questions among some Republicans over candid character, that they were comfortable voting for Kemp as a Republican, as governor, but not so much Herschel Walker, who's had a whole bunch of scandals, some of which we've discussed on this podcast, and questions about his general competency as a football player who isn't very steeped in the issues. And so uh, what has been interesting in the past couple of weeks since the general was that Walker has been campaigning with Governor Kemp as a surrogate. They've been campaigning together for the first time, finally, after the election. Notably, Donald Trump has not shown up to campaign for Walker. They view him as a net negative uh, in these last couple of weeks. That hasn't stopped, though, Warnock from portraying Walker as unfit for office, as an ally of Trump. Uh, in fact, there's a Raphael Warnock ad, which I found interesting, Jill. Uh, it features a woman. Again, this is Raphael Warnock, a Democrat. And it, he has in his campaign ad a woman who says she was proud to support Kemp, the Republican for governor, but is backing Warnock for the Senate. 
So he's making an issue and really reinforcing that, uh, hey, he's, you know, Herschel Walker, not your typical Republican. One other thing to throw out here, Jill, the weather in Atlanta, it's going to be rainy. Republicans right now depend on election day voting. In fact, they used to crush early voting, mail-in voting for years until this most recent cycle in 2020 when Trump and Republicans are like, don't trust early in voting. So a lot of Republicans are like, I guess I got to vote on election day. Well, we all know election day could go any way. Your kid could be sick. Uh, you could be stuck in traffic. You could get a flat tire. Or in this case, it could be raining. And so that really makes the job more difficult for Republicans today. And both parties have been pulling out all the stops, even though the Senate is already going to be in Democratic control. It's 50-50 now with Vice President Kamala Harris as the tie-breaking vote. But walk us through why this race is still so important. So Democrats will have a majority regardless, right? Because it's 50-50, but Dems control the White House they have that tie-breaking vote from the vice president. But for day-to-day business in the Senate, Jill, it's still challenging for Democrats to get things through. There's a lot of red tape, bureaucracy. There's power sharing in the Senate. The committees are split. So getting things through is a little more challenging. Uh, For Democrats, this 51st vote from Raphael Warnock, uh, if he gets through, gives them a more traditional majority, easier to vote things through. Now, keep in mind, since the House, the other side of Congress, is going to go Republican, you're not going to see lots of legislation going through. But there are some things specifically the Senate does, judicial nominees, judges, that's a big deal, that's handled by the Senate. This will make it easier for them to get more of uh, Biden's judges through. Also, other nominations, cabinet nominees, ambassadors, that sort of thing, that's Senate purview. So that's a case that Democrats will be making uh, and also is one of the reasons why turnout for Republicans is harder because no matter what, uh, it's hard for Herschel Walker to make the case to his voters like, listen, uh, put me in there to help really, you know, make things more challenging for Democrats to get (laughs) through, even though they still will get things through. All right. Switching gears, the Supreme Court takes up two compelling cases this week. So first, on Monday, the court considers whether a web designer's refusal to create a website for a same-sex couple violates the law. So this all stems from a case in Colorado. A graphic designer, Lori Smith, filed this case preemptively, saying that she wants to expand her business to build wedding websites and tell stories about brides and grooms, quote, through God's lens, and she does not want to offer her services to same-sex couples. Two U.S. courts have already ruled against her, saying that Colorado has a compelling interest to require businesses be open to serving all of the state's citizens. Civil rights groups say Smith basically wants a license to discriminate. The other side, though, says that the government shouldn't force people to violate their religious principles in order to make a living. And interestingly, Moshe, it's kind of a follow-up to a similar Colorado case. Yeah, it's fascinating that Colorado sort of is the center of a lot of these legal cases. It also happens to have one of the only um, openly uh, gay governors in the union, Jared Polis. And some people were wondering, like, well, didn't the court already rule on this? Well, sort of, but not completely. Back in 2018, there was a Supreme Court case about a Christian baker, also from Colorado, who was refusing to make a wedding cake for a gay couple. Well, the Supreme Court found that the baker never got a fair hearing in Colorado because the Civil Rights Commission had an anti-religious bias. So they basically ruled in favor of the baker, but never ruled on the underlying issue. They basically punted this issue. So it's back again. And so what's notable here is they're hearing this case, Jill, on free speech grounds, not freedom of religion grounds. So as you noted, Jill, here are essentially the two arguments. On one side are people who say the government should not force them to violate their principles to make a living. 
On the other side, same-sex couples and others who say they're entitled to equal treatment from businesses open to the public. Interestingly here, Jill, uh, you have the side, uh, in this case, Lori Smith, the graphic designer, who again, no same-sex couples have come to her to design their website. She just wants to post on her website that she's only making them for opposite sex couples, if you will. Uh, but she's also arguing for her part, this will help same sex uh, you know, uh, business owners not have to go against their beliefs and design or you know, design a website for people who are inherently anti-gay, et cetera. That's one of the cases they're making. The consequences regardless, uh, Jill, are enormous here for a variety of reasons. Smith supporters say a ruling for the state would allow the government to force all sorts of artists to state things at odds with their beliefs, like, you know, the example she was bringing up. The opponents here, including the state of Colorado, say a ruling in her favor would blow a hole through anti-discrimination laws, allow businesses engaged in expression uh, to refuse service to black people, to Muslims, to Jews, based on their conviction. So this is interesting, and we should know, Jill, one of the things to watch here is that the court has moved further right since 2018. We saw the death of RBG, uh, Anthony Kennedy's retirement. So you now have an even more conservative court who uh, has shown in recent years to be more receptive to claims of religious freedom and, uh, and this sort of thing. And tomorrow, the Supreme Court will hear an elections case that some are calling the future of democracy case, a Republican-led challenge asking the court for a ruling that would increase the power of state lawmakers over elections for Congress and also the presidency. And this stems from a case in North Carolina, where a Democratic majority on the state Supreme Court had blocked Republican efforts to draw congressional districts heavily in their favor. The court said that it violated the state constitution. The question for the justices is whether the U.S. Constitution's provision giving state legislatures the power to make the rules about, quote, the times, places and manner of congressional elections cuts state courts out of the process. The Republican challengers believe in something called the independent state legislature theory. Yeah, Jill, even for those of us who took civics, uh, AP government, you might have never heard of the independent state legislature theory. That's because many people have not really bought into it for many, many years. And that's sort of what this case is hinging on. So let's simplify this. Supreme Court watchers say this is one of the most important cases for American democracy. Uh, and it hinges on this theory, which effectively renders state courts and the state constitution powerless in matters of federal elections. But let's back up here. So what's happening? This has to do with something everyone, uh, you know, has heard about called gerrymandering. Last year, uh, most of the states off of the, you know, census that happens every 10 years were redistricting based on population flows, etc. So in North Carolina, you had a very Republican dominated state legislature. And on a party line vote, they approved this very extreme partisan gerrymander uh, to lock in a supermajority of the state's 14 congressional seats. It was actually so extreme that an evenly divided popular vote uh, that they drew the lines in a certain way to create 10 seats for Republicans and four for Democrats. Again, in an area that votes basically 50-50 Democratic-Republican. It was a radical statistical outlier that apparently was more favorable to Republicans than 99.9999% of possible maps. So the court in North Carolina, majority Democrat, rejected this map. Republicans in the legislature in North Carolina went back with a new map. That got rejected. So a couple of these Republicans said, let's take this Supreme Court and argue based on our reading of the Constitution that the courts should have no power here, that we believe that the founders intended for state legislatures to do what they want when they redistrict things. Now, we all know that gerrymandering is a problem, Jill. We were talking about the elections 
um, how we were only really watching 50 house seats, if you recall, last month, because 400 of them are basically so red or so blue because of the way they've been drawn, they're not competitive anymore. And to be clear, by the way, both parties do this. Oh, a thousand percent. You know, an interesting example that came up, Jill, one of the reasons Republicans have the House majority is because Democrats in New York went so far with their gerrymander, their redistricting this cycle, that the courts in New York threw it out. And the Democrats didn't have enough time to really come up with a better redistrict. And so Republicans were competitive in a number of seats. If Democrats hadn't gone overboard in New York, I'm their gerrymander. So again, it's important to note, Jill, uh, thank you for bringing it up. Both parties do this in the states where they have state majorities. Now, the issue here, and this is why democracy watchers are so concerned about this, is this will lead to gerrymandering on crack, if you will. This basically will mean that these super majorities in a lot of states can really literally draw the lines how they want to. These wild maps where they like split up, like in Texas, you, they split up the city of Austin into like pizza pie slices. So, you know, Austin is a majority Democratic area, but the way they kind of slice the pizza in the surrounding area is each smidge of, of Austin falls into different uh, districts that have a majority of Republicans in it. And again, that's another example. And we could say the same thing in Illinois, Democratic majority, uh, Democratic majority state where they slice Chicago in a way and the suburbs in a way to create more blue areas. So this goes back and forth. It'll be really interesting, Jill, to watch how the conservatives on the court argue this and listen to this tomorrow. Um, th- because ultimately, Uh, You have Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch, three justices, who have generally voiced support or openness to this theory. Brett Kavanaugh, a fourth conservative, says he sees serious arguments on both sides. Obviously, they need five to vote on this. Um, We don't have much of an indication on Amy Coney Barrett, the newest justice. uh, John Roberts, uh, people would probably, given his nature, probably vote against this. The court could also rule, by the way, for or against this case without dealing with this theory. But the bottom line is, this is I, I hope this has been helpful to folks to explain a little bit of why tomorrow's case is so significant. That pizza pie image is actually very helpful in terms of, of just kind of what it means when these areas are gerrymandered um, and how it really doesn't make a lot of sense if you're just a voter, you're kind of like, why am I, you know, why am I being represented by a different person, you know, than the person who lives down the block from me? Oh, totally. And by the way, pizza pie, that would be like a simple slicing. If you look at some of these maps, if you search congressional district maps, like wild, if you Google those, they are drawn in the most ridiculous ways. And again, both parties do this. But the uh, the concern is if if the Republicans in this case win uh, this case or are able to prove this theory, that uh, this would really put it into hyperdrive. All right, we have a lot more news to get to in this podcast, but I want to thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. Their AG1 all-in-one vitamin is a must as we try to get through this cold and flu season. I've been using the Athletic Greens AG1 powder for a couple months now, and it is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. So easy. Uh, For months, I was trying to get all my vitamins in, uh, some with breakfast, some with lunch. Uh, Keeping track of them is challenging. Sometimes they can get a little pricey, but transitioning to the Athletic Greens AG1 powder has been a game changer. The experience is simple, affordable. I'm feeling that extra boost of energy, especially when I used to lag midday. The AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. In addition, AG1 has pre and probiotics to support your gut health. And here is the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D, as well as five free travel packs. 
You can visit athleticgreens.com backslash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, it's athleticgreens.com backslash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. We have the link in bio to get this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from Politico. Final defense legislation set to be unveiled next week could undo the Pentagon's policy of kicking out troops for not taking the COVID vaccine, the Democratic chair of the House Armed Services Committee said over the weekend. Representative Adam Smith saying, quote, I was a very strong supporter of the vaccine mandate when we did it, a very strong supporter of the COVID restrictions put in place by DOD and others. But at this point in time, does it make sense to have that policy from August 2021? That is a discussion that I am open to and that we are having. The defense bill is set to be unveiled Monday. House leaders plan to hold a vote on the $847 billion policy measure sometime next week. Jill, it's been very interesting to watch on this Monday as we put together the podcast. The opinions are coming in left and right, and uh, and we'll try to lay them out for you for everyone here. So Republicans have been arguing for a while that forcing troops to get the shot or leave the military is exacerbating a recruiting and retention crisis. Thousands of troops have been kicked out for refusing the vaccine. In fact, last week, the top officer in the Marine Corps, that's General David Berger, told reporters from Military.com that the vaccine mandate has really hurt Marine recruiting, especially in the South. And, you know, what's notable here, and it was interesting to see uh, what you said, Adam Smith said, was the whole rationale for the vaccine mandate last year was the idea that having the vaccine meant you would spread um, less of COVID around, and also you'd be less likely to be hospitalized with the most recent variants, subvariants, Omicron, etc. That does not appear to be the case in terms of contagion, uh, you know, limiting contagion, nor limiting hospitalization, especially among you know healthy, fit people who presumably would be in the military. So then, over the weekend, you had the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, said to be the next speaker, likely uh, saying that he reached an agreement with the White House that they would uh, be done with the vaccine mandate. The White House then said, actually, we told McCarthy we're only considering his proposal. We don't approve of it. And then Biden and the defense uh, secretary on Monday said they oppose any effort to repeal the vaccine mandate. So there's a fight being laid out here right now um, as far as the two sides. And it really holds up, you know, a bill nearly $900 billion for the military. Jill, something to look out for here is that Congress has a bunch of choices. They can repeal the entire mandate. That's one. Two, they can leave the mandate in place, but undo the policy of making the punishment getting kicked out of the military. And then there's a larger discussion of what to do with the thousands of soldiers and Marines that have already been kicked out. Do you let them back in? What is the debate there? And for context here, about 98% of the armed forces have been vaccinated against COVID. That's going to DOD, uh, but there are the thousands that have been released. So 98% have gotten it. So this is really a question of what to do about the 2% and how to move forward. From CNN Business, Amy Robach and TJ Holmes, the co-hosts of ABC News's GMA3, have been taken off the air following the public disclosure of a romantic relationship. Network President Kim Godwin announced to staffers on Monday morning, according to a person familiar with the matter, quote, I'm going to talk about something that has become an internal and an external distraction, the relationship between two of our colleagues. And so I want to say that while that relationship is not a violation of company policy, I have really taken the last few days to think about and work through what I think is best for ABC's news organization. 
For now, she says, I'm going to take Amy and TJ off the air while we figure this out. We can't operate with gossip and speculation and rumors. We need to stay focused on the work. What gossip, Moshe? It's not like this has been plastered all over the New York Post or anything. I think all these new right. You you can imagine. I'm being uh, sarcastic, of, of course. Of of, of <laughs> course, I think I think that you know, like by the way, it's interesting. I you know, Kim. Full disclosure: Kim's a former colleague from CBS News days before she moved over and became president of ABC News. While she was at CBS, we were all dealing with the various scandals related to the Charlie Rose and Les Moonvests and a whole bunch of Me Too scandals that popped across news organizations in 2017 into 2018. It is notable, Jill, that they made this call. Uh, well, I think probably one thing that went into it, even though they're not getting into specifics, is that this does not appear to be the only relationship TJ Holmes, uh, who was married at one point, uh, and I believe is still with his or separated, etc., cetera, uh, engaged in. He was with a producer, apparently in a relationship with a producer in recent years. So I think this is the network making a decision to like figure out what is going on inside this show uh, and try to prevent a distraction. Uh, I'm sure it would have helped ratings to keep these two on the air as people start to watch what's going on here. That's why I was kind of surprised when this news broke, Mosh, because I would imagine that a lot of people are tuning in perhaps for the first time just to see what's going on here. Right. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are like, wait, Good Morning America has a third hour in the middle of the afternoon. Like, let's see what's going on over there. <laughs> and there's um, a and they and the hosts are having a secret affair and they're still yeah. on the air. This is sort of a reminder, by the way, this is not the only one of these cases. This uh, this happened over at MSNBC. This uh, uh, was the story for a long time with Morning Joe, with Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, who ended up, by the way, marrying one another um, and are still together. So I think one of the questions they probably have to figure out over at Disney Corporation, which owns ABC, was was there a workplace issue here in particular with that other producer relationship? Was it talent taking advantage of a producer? For anyone who's watched Apple's The Morning Show, you get a depiction of sorts of what goes on at morning shows. So this is sort of a throwback to what was going on at NBC and CBS back in 2017, 2018. ABC, by the way, sensitive to this as well. They fired an executive last year from Good Morning America who was also accused of uh, behaving inappropriately. So we'll monitor this a media story, but uh, clearly over at ABC, they have to figure out what was going on. So Mosh, you can count me as one of the people who did not really watch this show until this story broke. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually made a joke and kind of addressed it on Friday, sort of like giggling, like anything happened this week? Oh, no, it's a good week. And it was, I don't know, it's kind of funny. So they were having fun with it. Yes. Um, and, but clearly, you know, the powers that be have decided they have to figure out. They, they, they need to look further into this and the easiest thing right now internally is to take them off the air. Okay, from Scientific American, on December 7th, the moon will photobomb Mars. Okay, what? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that moon. So tomorrow night, people in a large fraction of the U.S. will be able to see a rare and wonderful astronomical event. The moon will pass directly in front of Mars, blocking it from view. This event is called an occultation. It's from a Latin word meaning hidden. It happens once or twice per year somewhere on Earth, but like a solar eclipse, you have to be in the right place at the right time to see it. So you could think of this upcoming one as a Martian eclipse. 
Yeah, so you don't apparently need any special equipment to watch it. Uh, apparently happens, a, a, again, a, a couple times a year, but we're very lucky to be able to get a, a real glimpse of it here in America. You just need your eyeballs. Um, I like the way Scientific American wrote this. <laughs> like a well-plotted movie, the drama will build as the moon slowly approaches Mars in the sky, culminating in the moment when the edge of our satellite sweeps over the disk of the planet, causing it to fade away and finally wink out. A telescope improves the view, of course, but it's still fun to watch without optical aid. Thank you, Scientific American, for making it sound very dramatic. Um, I'll have to uh, post on Instagram exact times. You might see this, uh, but always fun to look up at the sky and see something cool. From the Today Show, yesterday, Time revealed its 10-person shortlist for 2022 Person of the Year, narrowed down by the magazine's editors based on who they felt had the most influence on the world this year. Every year since 1927, Time's Person of the Year has set activists, world leaders, celebrities, and epidemic fighters on its front cover, spotlighting their impact. Last year, Time gave that honor to the CEO of SpaceX and Tesla, Elon Musk. Did they know something we don't know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> calling attention to his rise as a figure in tech through his advancement in automotive and spacecraft engineering. I mean, remember when that's what he was known for? Oh, so long ago, nine months ago. Uh, we were so innocent back then. Time will be revealing its selection for 2022 on the Today Show on Wednesday. And again, this week, they announced the finalists. So before I list them, Mosh, any guesses? So I promise not to look, uh, but I did see earlier today that the Financial Times, which I didn't realize named People of the Year, uh, named Zelensky uh, their Person of the Year. So I think that he would certainly be, as you think about 2022, Zelensky inspiring his nation to fight against Putin uh, would certainly be a top candidate. Am I right? Correct. Okay, so Zelensky's won. But interestingly, sometimes time likes to play um, contrarian do they also have Putin on the list? They do not. Oh, but that would have been a so, great guess. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting because when you think about person of the year, they have been criticized in the past. Like Hitler was a person of the year, right? Khrushchev was person of the year. Stalin at one point was person of the year. So it's the person who makes the most impact on the planet for better or for, for the worse. But I guess time has decided Putin so bad. We, we can't get away with naming a person of the year. Okay. Elon would have been a guess, obviously, for this year. But since they gave it to him last year, they don't have him in consideration again, do they? They do. Oh, Elon could go for uh, two. Two in a row. And then they like to sometimes name like a thing, like an invention, like uh, mRNA was up for it, uh, or a group. We've been covering the protests. Are any of the protests, the democracy protests in China or Iran up for uh up for one? Okay, yes. Um, the Iran protesters are one. And there is another group. It's not like a protest group, but there is one other big group. I don't know. Go ahead. Gun safety advocates. Oh, oh yeah. You did see the first gun uh, gun safety reform passed in nearly 20 years this year. So I guess that's interesting. Along that line of just not naming an, an individual, the U.S. Supreme Court is on the list. Okay. The Roe v. Wade overturn. That's interesting. Okay. Xi Jinping. Okay. Liz Cheney which I think makes a lot of sense given the stance that she's taken about you know Trump and, and the January 6th riots. Yeah, certainly it would lead to a conversation and some controversy and sort of the reinforcement of the, the liberal media or whatever, but interesting. Okay, another politician, Ron DeSantis. 
could be Republican nominee for for president. Interesting. I, though I think DeSantis will have a year in the in the coming years, but a uh, big win in Florida and certainly making his impact felt. And this one surprised me a little bit. Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary. For like ignoring inflation until it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that would be Jerome Powell. Sorry for your yelling people. Sorry. Okay, that would be Jerome Powell. Yeah, she's Treasury Secretary. And then one more, Mackenzie Scott. Oh, for giving away billions and billions of dollars, uh, Miss Miss X, Mrs. Bezos. Yeah, no, she's she's made a huge impact this year. And doing it kind of below the radar and sort of setting the standard on how billionaires could be giving away their money. It's one of the reasons why many people think Bezos, Jeff, comma Jeff, uh, said in a recent interview that he was ready to finally give away all his money. They think that his ex-wife has been embarrassing him with the amount that she's been giving things away. Uh, Jill, uh, I looked up a couple on this days in history as we uh, say goodbye to folks today. December 6th, I got two for you. First, the more official on this day. Uh, On this day in 1865, the 13th Amendment was ratified, abolishing slavery in this country. Also on this day in 1987, 35 years ago, Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle hit number one on the charts. Baby, do- okay, I'll stop. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song. It's a great song. I I did love that song. Um, I I like this category, Moshe. I think this is a fun way to end the podcast. You know, listen, we're we're gonna change it up for folks and give you a couple <laughs> things to think about every day. Um, I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Daily podcast. Please follow or subscribe to the show on the app you're listening to us on right now. It's a quick little hit of the button, and to make sure you won't miss a single episode. Also, if you can, please review us in the app store. Uh, every review helps us grow. And follow me over on Instagram over at, at Mosh at M O S H E H. All right, bye everybody. See you tomorrow. See ya. <laughs>